I'm good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The first, disclaim, first of all, I thank God for the opportunity to be in this house, to be fed in this house, and the opportunity given to stand up in this pulpit because I know, I know the legacy, the character, the nature, the testimony of the pastors in this house. Amen. So I don't take it for granted. Amen. And one disclaimer, Pastor Phyllis and I did not talk at all about my, okay, because you were preaching my message right on the way. <laughs> yeah. So, not even my wife, you know, I didn't discuss. Yes. Amen. Um, I'm just going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come before you. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for today. We thank you because you already purposed a time such as this. I thank you for the hearts and the minds of people here and those watching through the internet. I thank you, God, because your word will not return void. I thank you because you will make the changes and the deposits that are needed to make us more like you. And God, I decrease today so that you will increase and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, when you started talking, I was, no, she's, she's uh, taking my message, but that's just an affirmation, yeah. you know. And uh, I'm going to start out with three quick scriptures uh, before we get into the meat of tonight's word. The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. So Jeremiah 32, verse 27. It starts out by saying, behold. That word behold, it's not there by happenstance. It's an attention grabber. This is God speaking. He said, behold. I looked up, what does it mean to behold? It means to perceive, to reflect, to pause, to acknowledge, to gaze intently, to ponder, to accept, to contemplate, to understand, and to see. So the Lord says, behold. He wants us to do all those adjectives. I am the Lord the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? And this is what the Lord is asking us today. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what circumstances has been buffeted in you, no matter how dire the situation, no matter what pronouncements have been made over you or your family, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You know? And uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I think it's verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So we need to settle it today, that God is who he says he is, and we need to believe his word. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 14, it said, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither both Neither have the eyes seen, O oh God, besides the what he had prepared for him that waited for him. So we need to learn to wait on God. We need to learn to be patient 
to trust him, to believe in him. So those three scriptures are really the predicate for what I'm going to talk about tonight. And I used to be a professor in medical school, so the teacher and me always will come out. So the, the word predicate, it's, uh, it's stated to assert or to affirm and establish a premise. And my premise tonight is that God is true and that he will do what he says he'll do. Amen? So we all know as believers, we know about Abraham, and he's the father of our faith. And most believers, if you've been saved, even a couple of months, and someone stopped and asked you about Abraham, you'll be able to give some narrative about him. So I was reflecting the Abrahamic uh, covenant. It's, it's solid. I'm like, what is it about Abraham that made him such a great man of faith? You know, Paul entreated believers in Corinthians. He said, to follow me as I follow Christ. So I want to emulate those who walked upright, who walked in integrity, who've been victorious. That's who I want to emulate. Amen? So I'm just going to give a quick synopsis, a quick, a brief overview about Abraham, then we'll delve into tonight. We know that in Genesis 12, God, God calls him and tells him to leave his people, to leave his country, and to go to a place where he'll show him. Of course, before this time, there were no examples. We can reflect on those who've gone before us and know that they endured, God came through for them, and faith can be nurtured and encouraged by the examples before us. At this juncture, Abraham had no precedence. So God speaks to him, and he chooses to believe God. And he chooses not just to believe God, but to act in obedience to what God has told him to do. So when God speaks to him, he's not a kid. He's 75 years old. He's had failures. He's had adversities. And we know the most blatant failure, that he, he was seeking a seed, and he could not. He and his wife, you know, could not have kids. But so God tells him to depart, and he gave everything up, and he became obedient, verses 1 through 4. And, and God made him a promise then that his seed shall be great. That really seems nebulous. It seems vague. So here I am, 75 years old. I have all these things that, naturally speaking, are impossible. And I've been told many times how impossible it is. But you're telling me that my seed will be great. And you're telling me to give up my comfort, to give up that which I've relied on. Okay, God. But he set out. And then in verse 7, see, God repeats himself. And God tells him that his promise unto his seed is that they will possess this land. All right? So the, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing, and hearing. Repetition, you know, produces seed. So, of course, Abraham obeyed, and he goes into Egypt. And Pastor Phyllis was alluding to what Egypt represented. He goes into Egypt at a time where there's famine. And, of course, we know the story. He tried. He lied. He's still young in his walk with God. So he made some mistakes, but he was working towards perfection. And in verse 13, he and his family, they depart Egypt. And this time, the word says that 
Abraham departed Egypt and was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So the guy who went, you know, to, into Egypt without much is coming out, you know, with riches. What's, what's transpired between them? We'll, we'll, we'll go into that. Then, of, of course, in chapter 14, he goes into a battle because the enemy had plundered members of his family, had taken them hostage. He goes into a battle, and God gives him victory. With God giving him victory, of course, the enemy is subtle. The king of Sodom tries to get the glory from that. But Abraham, at this time, had matured enough in God that he knew that all his substance and who he was depended on God. And he said, I will not let you say that you made me. And and because he said that, in chapter 15, God makes a proclamation to him. He said, fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Not just great reward. I'm thy exceeding great reward. And then fast forward to chapter 17. This time he's 99 years old. God spoke to him at 75. Now in chapter 17 he's 99. And God tells him specifically that he'll have a son. And his name shall be Isaac. And he said, I'll establish my covenant with him and his seed. You know, God now is speaking generationally, you know. And so, we have to understand that revelation is progressive. And with progress comes specificity. So at 75, God spoke to him in generality. And now at 99, because he's remained faithful, God speaks more specifically. The picture is clearer that I'm going to bless you with a son, and this, this is his name, and this is my promise to him. He reaffirms it. And, of course, then in chapter 21, Isaac is born, so the promise is fulfilled. Amen? God has so far been true to what he said. Now, our, our passage tonight is going to be from Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, from verses 1 through 17. I just gave that as a prelude so that we're all up to speed. So in uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things, all these things that I've enumerated, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. So what he has believed God all this time, God is telling him to take him. And I looked up, what's the land of Moriah? Moriah Moriah is a place or a land of vision. And where there's no vision, the people perish. So God is telling him to get into a land of vision. Also, and he instructs him to worship. So when he reaffirms his vision, his next step is to worship God. So there's a plan and a pattern to this. And then in the uh, Jewish, in the Hebrew text, also Moriah, some people say is the same as Mount Zion. And uh, Mount Zion 
is a place where trust is established. The word of God says that, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which remaineth and abideth forever. It's not, it's immovable. So there types and shadows in God's instructions to him. And anyway, so he goes on. So when God tells us to do something and he gives us a vision, do we act on it? Excuse me. Do we act on it or do we keep on focusing on that which is tangible, that which looks immovable, you know? And um, then in verse 3, it said that Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. So Abraham became obedient and then he obeyed every facet of instructions that God gave him. You know, we cannot pick and choose what God has told us that we'll follow. Abraham was specific. He followed it. Notice that he took the only beloved son, check. He said, and, and he told him to get out of the land, check. And he said to offer him there for a burnt offering. He was willing to do that, check. And he said, I'll tell thee of the mountain where he'll be offered. So although God has given him instructions, God still leaves a little vagary to it so that Abraham will have his total reliance on God. Most of us want God, God to spell out everything before we move. And if we do that, it's not fate anymore. Amen. So Abraham set out in a followed instructions that God had told him. Then in verse 4, it says, then on the third day, this is symbolic of Christ's resurrection on the third day. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, you know, and he saw the place afar off. We need to lift up our eyes. The, the Word of God tells us to lift, up, lift our eyes up to the hills from when comes our help. And our help comes from the Lord. So he, on the third day, he lifted up his eyes, as in the resurrection. We're not looking for Christ in on the sepulcher, in the grave anymore. We're looking for the risen king. And as believers, as New Testament believers, even in our doldrums, even while we're going through our situations, we need to keep our eyes lifted up unto the Lord. Amen? And then in verse 5, it said, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again. So he now was supposed to be like God, was supposed to act like him. God made decrees, and those decrees came to be. So now Abraham is enunciating what God had told him because he believed it. And so he enunciated faith in foretelling the young men that were with him that he and the lad will go and worship and will come back. When in the natural, because God had told him to go and take him to go sacrifice him, how can that be? But because he, he had faith in God, so far, God hasn't let him down, and he was going to go all the way. Amen? And uh, then in verse 6, 
This is critical. This is where obedience is demonstrated. It said that Abraham took the wood of burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Just as God took the sins of the world, our sins, and laid it upon Christ. So Abraham took the wood, which represents sin, and laid it upon the sacrificial lamb, Isaac. And then also, and he said he took the fire. This is the refiner's fire. Malachi 3, 2 said, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire. So he took the wood, he took the fire, and with it also was a knife. The word of God tells us that this word is sharper than two double-edged sword, piercing, you know, asunder. So he followed everything that God told him to do, yet he hadn't seen the provision. And then in verse 7, Isaac finally speaks up. Isaac says unto his dad, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, a lot of times when we're going through our seasons, even when we're obedient and it's still not manifesting, there will always be a voice. And many times it's the voice of someone close to us who will question you who ask, why is God not coming through? How long are we going to believe? Didn't God tell us that he'll do this and do that? Why is it not manifesting? So Isaac gives voice to questioning the authenticity or the faithfulness of God. But like 1 Peter 3.15 says, it says, you should always, we as believers, we should always be ready and able to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and favor. So Abraham didn't flinch. As soon as his son asked him, he didn't back off from God's promises or assertions, and he didn't equivocate. Instead, he, he told him in verse 8, he said that God himself will provide. So tonight, I'm decreeing to each and every one of us that whatever it is you've been in need of, a touch from God, healing, provision, deliverance, safety, help, God himself has said that he'll do it and he will provide it. Amen. So stop trying to manufacture the lamb. Stop trying to make a counterfeit. You know, we need to just trust him because the works have already been done. Let God make the provisions as he's promised. We need to trust him. We need to believe him. We need to wait on him. We need to receive it by faith and we need to watch it manifest. Amen. And we shouldn't make excuses for God. Because he is yet faithful. Amen. Hallelujah. And then verse 9 said, And they came to the place which God had told him of. <laughs> so up till this time, he's still believing, he's still looking. 
to that city whose maker was God. So they get to this place, and what was the purpose of him getting to the point of rendezvous? He wanted to build an altar there. So he built an altar, and the purpose of that altar was to worship God. My question to us tonight, do we have an altar? Have we built an altar? And what kind of altar do we have? What is it made of? Who is worshipped in your altars? How often do you worship at those altars? And what circumstances evokes your worship? Those are rhetorical questions that we should reflect on and be able to, to answer. But Abraham had a purpose. The Bible says he set his eyes like a flint, and he was going to go all the way with God. So he built an altar to worship God. And in verse 10, it said, And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son, the son of promise. In, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, it said, because he knew that God, who brought that son from nothing, will be able to raise him up. Hallelujah. And then when he did that, in verse 11, it said, The angel of the Lord called called him out from heaven. And then he said, for now, and he said, lay not my hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. This is God speaking. He said, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. Now the, the word of God said that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And because he didn't hold back, he was giving God his best. God knew that this is a man that I can trust. See, God's covenants with him became progressive. And God's proclamation, you know, it's like an onion. You know, God first told him, I'm going to make you, you know, the father of many nations. And then he gave him specificity of it's a son. Then he said, okay, and your children, my covenant will be with your children and your children's children. But then now when he goes the extra mile, he's a second mile a guy, and he followed through on what God told him to do, God is now about to make a decree. And wherever there's a decree, there's provision. Wherever there's a decree, there's manifestation. So for us to have the victories that Abraham had, there's something that's required of us. And faithfulness is one of those virtues. Amen? Hallelujah. So, with your trials, with the circumstances you faced, just know this, that through your pruning comes the promise. So just hang in there. Fight like a good soldier. Fight a fight of faith. Amen. So, again, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord calling unto him, my question to us, are you in a place to hear the Lord when he speaks? 
because the Spirit of God is speaking all the time, but most of us are not in our position. We're not where he's told us to be. And so we can't hear him. My wife is home tonight. She's not here. So if I speak now, she cannot hear me. You have to be in a position with an earshot and lined up to be able to hear. And then in hearing, do we have understanding? Amen? Would you understand his voice? And if you understood his voice, would you obey him? You know, um, when God spoke and said, for now I know that you fear me, I think it's in Proverbs, it said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So, if we fear him, and wisdom is established in that, the enemy may shoot all his arrows, but there's protection, there's safety. I'm, I remember as a kid growing up in, in Africa, we have chicken like that run the streets, and occasionally you see the prey that comes to, to swoop down to get their chick. And the mom will make a certain noise, and as she does that, all her chick will know that there's danger. And then they'll run towards her, and she opens her wings, and she'll you know, squat over them and protect them. But for them to hear her, they have to be within earshot. So we need to stay in the vein with God to be able to hear him and understand him and then follow through. Amen? And then in verse 13, he said, that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. He looked intently. He was intentional. He was focused. He was deliberate. And behind, behind him was a provision. But what did he do when he saw the provision? He followed through, set it upon an altar. He did not consume it. Many times we're greedy. When God makes provision for us, we don't listen to the Holy Spirit to know, okay, God, what am I to do with this provision? Many times our lust, our hungers and thirst will make us to consume that which God has brought to us without hearing him what the intent is for. But Abraham, these are the qualities he showed. He, he knew to wait on God, and he followed through. Hallelujah. And then um, in verse 14, it said that Abraham then called our place Jehovah-Jireh. So he put the focus back on God. Not, I know that if, I, if it were I, and God came through for me, I may turn around and say, hey, everyone. <laughs> God hears my prayer. He answers. I must be special to him. You know, it's all about me. And that's what we do. But no, even in that, in his victory, he still remained focused and know his priorities and where he is, you know, with God. And then in verse 16, God swears, he makes a decree, a proclamation. He makes a sovereign decree, and this is always followed by manifestations and demonstration. 
You know, so in, in verse 17, of, right of verse 16, it said, and it said, by myself have I sworn, said the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, now verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. God is so good. He, just, he doesn't just stop that. He'll bless them. You know, the, um, God's descriptives, you know, it's going to be as numerous as, you know, seashores. And then you possess the gates of the enemies. Praise God, you know. So my question, what have you withheld from the Lord? What has, it, has God asked of you, of us, that we haven't given it to him? See, God, he's not interested in the part. He wants the whole. But oftentimes, we make excuses. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, this what I'm going through. I have a lot on my plate. You don't understand. I just don't feel good. God wants the whole. He wants all of it. And he's not going to, there's a song we sing, he's not going to stop until he gets it all. Amen? So is it your heart? Is it your time? Is it your worship? Is it your praise? Is it your money? Your talents, your giftings, what is it? He's looking for total, complete, and unequivocal surrender. Hallelujah. So, whether it's in our fellowship with him, in our commune time, we say that he's a jealous God. So many other things we've allowed to be substituted for him. And God doesn't want those substitutes. So all I'm going to ask each and every one of us, starting tonight on this place, the Bible said that he that had an ear, let him hear. For us to examine ourselves. And those who are found wanting, all God asks is obedience and absolute surrender. And when we yield and give our all to him, his promises become real. And God will speak over us again. And that which he speaks will surely come to pass. Amen. Praise God. So if there's, first of all, anyone here tonight who doesn't know about the God that 
we worship that I just talked about, about Jesus, if you don't have any relationship with Jesus, you've never asked him to be Lord over your life, this is an opportunity for you to do that. And for those who know him, but who have been lukewarm, those who know him, who have had all the issues of life kind of smother the time that God so desires. When the word said that he so loved the world, he so loved each and every one of us that he gave his best. And all he wants us to do is to give him our all. And if you haven't done that, the altar is open tonight. We can make it right, right here. So come on out. There's no shame because the Spirit of God knows where each and every one of us are. And if you take the step of faith, God will meet you there. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anyone? Anyone else?